You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Uh, hey everybody, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name's Jake and um, we pastor here. So glad that you are joining us. I want you to know really and kind of everyone just to be reminded uh, that our Sunday morning gatherings, the purpose of them is is because we, we want to be reminded of who God is and what he's done for us so that we will be moved to you know, praise him and love him by loving others with him. And so that's certainly what we hope your experience is with us today, that you're reminded of who he is and what he's done for you and it moves you, compels you to love him and love others. So we're going to be in our uh, Psalms of Summer series. We're going to be in Psalm 32 today. Before we get in there, let me just give you a little context, because Psalm 32 is one of the uh, seven uh, penitential psalms, are also known as the uh, Psalms of Confession. And given that this is a uh, psalm of confession, I'll kick off our time uh, of the message by a little self-deprecating confession for you, just, just for, you know, basically for your entertainment, and so you can have stuff to mock me with later. But when I was, uh, <laughs> when I was in sixth grade, which is, is really wild because my boys are entering sixth grade this year. And it's like, man, I can't believe uh, what, how cool I thought I was when I was going into sixth grade. But when I was in sixth grade, I had this big crush on this girl named Lauren. And, uh, but the problem was is that my parents had, had told me I was not allowed to ask Lauren to be my girlfriend. And the reason I was not allowed to ask Lauren to be my girlfriend in sixth grade is because earlier that year at a school dance, and uh, parents, you might want to earmuff your kids for this, um, a school dance, I had gotten caught dancing with my hand on her butt. And uh, the, the chaperones of the dance were friends of my parents. And so they told my parents what they saw, and I got at a lot. <laughs> a lot of trouble for that. And one of the consequences was I wasn't allowed to actually ask Lauren to be my girlfriend. But um, she was the cutest girl in school. And she was the most popular girl in school. And I knew she liked me. So I asked her out. And she said yes. And then I tried to figure out how can I cover this up and keep this from my parents. And so uh, my next door neighbor was a girl named Carrie, and she was in my grade too, in sixth grade. And so I would go to Carrie's house and use Carrie's phone to call Lauren because, you know, uh, students, cell phones actually didn't exist yet when I was in sixth grade. And so um, I had to uh, use a phone that with a cord. And so I would use Carrie's phone to call my girlfriend, Lauren. But then one day, Carrie was outside uh, and she just starts talking with my mom and she mentions, hey, Miss Kathy, uh, everybody just thinks Jake and Lauren are the cutest couple in school. And my mom hears this and she like just kind of like plays it cool and just kind of starts coaxing a little bit more information out of Carrie, finds out how long we've been together and all this kind of stuff. And then she calls my dad <laughs> and my dad uh, was not happy. But he had a meeting that night at work, and so he wasn't going to be able to get home. So he tells my mom, hey, uh, don't, don't say anything to Jake. I'm gonna, I'll wake him up when I get home, and we'll talk to him. So I go to bed that night in blissful ignorance, thinking that, you know, my, my secret is still covered. And, and, uh, but then my dad gets home about 1030 at night, and he comes, and he uh, wakes me up. So I'm, I'm sound asleep. I wake up and I'm you know, trying to figure out what's going on. He says, Jake, I need you to come in my room and talk to me. 
So I kind of stumble into his bedroom and there my mom and dad are sitting on the bed and I'm standing kind of by the, their, the footboard of their bed. And my dad says, Jake, we know about you and Lauren and we know that you've been lying to us and covering this up and covering up your disobedience. And at those words, I fainted. <laughs> I mean, literally just smacked down, hit the ground, passed out cold. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. Huh? Um, I thought my life was over. I thought that I was a goner. You know, my sin had been uncovered and I was, it was just done. I just completely just passed out. I, uh, every time, <laughs> how's that for a funny story? Uh, Every time I read Psalm 32, I, I think of that. I think of that moment in my life. And the reason why is because most Bible scholars believe that uh, King David, who authored Psalm, this psalm, they think he wrote this soon after uh, the prophet Nathan had confronted David for his incredible grievous sin uh, that he committed with uh, you know, by, with Bathsheba, by committing adultery with Bathsheba and then killing Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, as a way to cover up what he had done. And when prophet uh, Nathan confronts David, uh, I just like, he, he, uh, he responds in a way that I don't think I would have responded because see, based off my track record, I think I would have probably responded by fainting, <laughs> but King David, he, he, he responds by confessing. And when he's confronted for, for the sin that he had been trying to cover up, he, he confesses it and he ends up pinning um, Psalm 51. And then, like I said, probably shortly after that, most people believe he, he pinned this Psalm, Psalm 32. And in this Psalm, friends, I think it has a lot to teach us about the practice of confession. And I want us to look at this because <laughs> I could be wrong about this, though. I, I don't, unfortunately, I don't think I am. I, I think that in the church today and in our lives personally, and I can speak personally about this, I think, I think that the practice of confession has gotten uh, uh, strongly neglected. And, and that's either because we, we, uh, we don't understand it or we just don't think it's a big deal. And yet in this psalm, it, it actually teaches us a lot about the practice of confession. And it shows that it's important, and it shows us how to do it, and it shows us uh, what results when we do it. And I'll tell you, what results is different than what I think most of us experience when we confess. And so I want to just ask y'all, just before we even get in this psalm, just a couple questions for, you know, for you to maybe decide to clue in here for the next 20 minutes. But um. Like, when was the last time you confessed sin to God? Like, what did that look like for you? Was it, you know, have you done that recently? And if you have done that recently, was it just kind of a blanket statement? Was it, God, just forgive my sins? Or was there more to it than that? What did it involve? And then how did you feel afterwards? Did you beat yourself up? Did you feel terrible? Did you feel like you had to promise God that you're going to do better and, you know, promise all these different things that, you know, try to get back into his you know, good graces or, or did you leave the time of confession full of, full of joy and happiness? And that, that sounds kind of strange, right? But that's actually what we see in this song. 
So let's, let's learn about confession from Psalm 32. Let me begin by uh, reading the beginning here. It says this. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. We'll come back to this, but then David moves into talking about a time before he confessed. He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Okay, let me stop there because I want to just point out uh, what confession involves, all right? So, because verse 5, it's really clearly stated. And he says, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. That's what confession involves. That's why he uses the word confess to kind of capture those two thoughts in the next line. He says, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And so, like, put simply, confession involves acknowledging my sin to God and uncovering it before God. And so the practice, friends, of confession, it's not complicated. And yet, I think many Christians, and I'm guilty of this, many Christians neglect to do it. And I think we neglect to do it not because it is complicated, but I think it's because there's a couple other things at play. Let me just point to a few of them real quick to see if any of these hit home for you. I think one of the reasons we often neglect to acknowledge our sin and uncover it before God is because we don't think sin is a very big deal. And friends, look, if that is your attitude, then um, I would just implore you to change your mind. Because uh, God says that the wages of sin is death. Like the due penalty of sin is death. It's, it's separation from life. It's separation from eternal life, from God himself. That's the due payment for our sins. It's a big deal. And if that doesn't convince you, then I'd, I'd just ask you to recognize too that everything broken in our world is the result of sin. And so everything from racism to broken relationships to a deadly virus that's causing sickness and death, every, every broken thing is a result of sin. It's a big deal. And if that doesn't convince you, then I would just say, oh, look to Jesus on the cross. For if sin was not a big deal, then why did God the Son die to pay the penalty of our sin? Since sin is a really big deal, let us not mistake, make the mistake of treating it flippantly. But if we do treat it flippantly, then of course we're not going to confess our sins because we don't think it's a big deal. So that's one thing that's at play. But I think there's another thing that's at play, perhaps for more of us, and that's this, that I think that we don't confess our sins often because we don't recognize that we are actually sinning. Like we don't really see that we're sinning. And if you don't acknowledge, see, we won't acknowledge our sin if we don't first recognize that it's even taking place at all. I think about verses three and four, right, where David is talking and he's describing what he was feeling like prior to confessing his sin, right? And he says, man, when I kept silent, I felt as if my bones were wasting away. Like I knew I was guilty. I I knew I had done wrong. It felt like God's hand was heavy on me, that my strength was being sapped as in the heat of summer. But friends, the reason that David felt that way is because 
He knew what he had done was wrong, as he should have. Like, he had an affair, and then he tried to cover it up by killing a man. Like, he doesn't get a gold star for knowing that was wrong, right? But because he knew it was wrong, he felt the conviction of God about that. But I think that we often don't feel that kind of conviction because we don't even recognize that the way we're living is out of line with what God has called us to live. I think there's, there's three words used in this psalm to describe sin, and they're, they're all insightful. The first is the, the Hebrew word pasha, and it's translated uh, transgressions, but it, it literally means um, uh, uh, to pass over a boundary. And the, the second Hebrew word uh, in this passage used for, for sin is the word hata'ah. And it's translated sin in, in, the English, in the English, but it literally means to miss the mark. And then the third word is avon, and it's, it's translated iniquity in the psalm, but it literally means to turn from the proper course. And in each one of these words, what you see is that there's this sense that there is a clear line, there's a boundary, there's a mark, there's a proper course, a direction that we are intended, that God intends for us to follow. But if we don't know where the boundary lines are drawn or what the mark is or what the proper course that we should be on, then again, we're not going to uh, confess our sin. We're not going to even be able to acknowledge when it happens. And I'll tell you, friends, this point right here, it's really weighed heavily on me this week. Because here's what I see in my own life. And if I'm honest, what I see even in our, in our church at large, I see that we have clarity on what, on, like on where God has lovingly set his boundaries in certain areas. But I also see that there's other areas where we pass over God's boundaries and we don't even seem to know it. And as a result, we don't feel like we're wasting away or that our strength is sapped because we're sinning. For we won't confess sins that we don't acknowledge as sin. And we won't know what, a, what is a sin without knowing what God has said. And friends, we won't know what God has said unless we open up our Bibles. See, in God's word, he's revealed to us who he is and what he has done for us. And he's also revealed who we are and how he wants us to live. And what he says is for his glory and it's for our flourishing and the good of all of society. But we won't know when we're missing the mark or we're outside of the boundaries or we veered off course if we don't let him instruct us and counsel us through his word. Like friends, when was the last time that you opened up your Bible and you're reading, let's say it's Matthew 28 and you're reading it and you see, okay, Jesus says all authority has been given to me. And here's what I'm going to tell you to do. Make disciples, baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teach them to obey all I've commanded. And you read that and you think, oh my goodness, this is what Jesus has called me to do. To make disciples, I'm not doing that. See, this is the direction that he has sent me on. This is the course. I've veered off course. And that comes home to you. And you confess that? 
Or you think about reading Ephesians chapter 5 that says, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place. But rather thanksgiving, friends, you read that and you think, oh my goodness, foolish talk, coarse joking. I didn't think that was a big deal, but this is saying this is, this is actually is out of bounds. This misses the mark. I think greed. I mean, when was the last time any of us confessed greed? And yet how often does every dollar that comes into our home just get spent on us? Guys, when it, are we reading our Bibles and are we seeing what God lays the boundaries out and we say, man, I got to confess. Think about two weeks ago, Micah 6.8. What's God require of us? To do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with the Lord and think, man, I'm not doing justice. I'm not actively caring for the vulnerable or the oppressed or the marginalized. I, I'm outside of God's boundaries here. I'm missing the mark. And, and conviction comes over you and you acknowledge your sin. Guys, is this a, pro, is this a part of your practice in your relationship with God? This is a part of reading the Bible and hearing God speak to us. And we need to grow in this. We will not grow in this if we don't even recognize we're sinning. And we're not going to recognize we're sinning if we're not listening to God and seeking his counsel. Of course, if we do this, then you might begin to recognize and acknowledge that you have a whole lot of sin to confess. I know that's what happens to me. And if that's your experience then I'll just tell you, you're going to naturally, because this is how we all naturally respond to recognizing sin in our lives, you're going to want to naturally cover that up. You're not going to want to uncover that and admit it. You're going to want to hide it. You're going to want to hide yourself or you want to blame shift. I mean, just this is from the very beginning. Think Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve in the garden, they sin. What do they do? They run and hide. They try to cover themselves. Yes, that's, and that they also blame each other. But that's what we normally, how we normally want to respond when we see the sin in our own lives. But see, confession involves acknowledging our sin and uncovering it before God. And we will actually be willing to uncover it before God when we recognize how God responds when we confess to him. And that's where David goes next. And that's, this is where the rest of the psalm gets really encouraging. Okay, so... <laughs> Hang in there with me. But he goes on in this psalm, and this is just how he, he notice how he ends verse 5. He says it this way. Then I acknowledged uh, my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And here it is. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. So you got, how does God respond to confession? It's amazing. It really is amazing. He responds with forgiveness. See, God, he operates completely opposite of cancel culture, right? Which is such good news. 
that when we sin against God, he remains willing to forgive. And I love how uh, John Piper, pastor, author, says this. He says, the aim of all forgiveness is to restore a damaged relationship. See, when you confess your sins, you are essentially saying, God, I know I have damaged our relationship. And when God forgives us of our sins, he is saying, I am willing to restore this damaged relationship. And so what you have in this psalm is David saying, man, when I confess my horrendous sins, when I acknowledge them before God and uncovered what I had done, God forgave the guilt of my sin. He didn't condemn. He didn't turn his back. He forgave. And friends, that is how God responds when we confess our sin to him as well. Like it is absolutely incredible. In fact, it causes David to say in verse six, uh, therefore, like therefore, because that's how he responds to our confession. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Is that great? Like, therefore, this is since God hears our confession and forgives us, then let all the faithful pray to you, like come to you with you, confess to God. Well, he can be found. Like, don't wait. Don't wait. He's going to forgive our sins. But as awesome as that is, God's gracious and loving response to us doesn't even just stop with forgiveness. See, David goes on to say, not only will God forgive, but he will also respond to our confession with protection and direction. Like with protection, and you read the rest of verse 6, it says this, uh, Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them them being those who confess their sins to God. He says, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. This is beautiful because back in verse three and four, right? You've got what you have David basically saying. is like, man, when I wouldn't confess my sin, when I kept silent, I felt like God's hand was always on me. My strength was being sapped. Like I, I was trying to hide. I didn't want to uncover my sin. I was trying to hide from God. I wanted to get out from under him. But here in verse seven, he says, no, no, no. Here, when I've, when I've confessed my sin to God, what I realize now is that I'm not needing to hide from you, God, any longer. I'm realizing I can now hide in you. That God, I don't need to hide from you. That I hide in you. And in doing so, you protect me from the guilt of my sin. God provides protection. And then not only that, but he also provides direction. So in verse 8, it's as if God takes the pen in his own hand. And he promises not only protection, but instruction and counsel for those who confess their sins to him, saying this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Y'all see the incredible love of God on display here. David goes way outside of God's boundaries, wildly missing the mark and veering off course, but then he confesses it. And God responds saying, I forgive you and I will protect you and I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. And friends, hear this. That is how God responds when we confess our sins as well. 
That is how God responds when we confess our sins as well. And when you realize that's true, then when you realize that that's what God is like and that that's how God responds, then when you confess your sin, you won't be left feeling naked and ashamed and exposed. Instead, you will realize that you are actually covered and forgiven, and that will leave you feeling happy. See, that's why this psalm begins and ends in this way. David says, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not account against them and whose spirit is no deceit. And then he ends the psalm in this way, verse 11, rejoice in the Lord and be glad you righteous. Sing all of you who are upright in heart. And that word in verses one and two, that word blessed, it, it's trans, it can just as easily be translated happy. Happy is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Happy is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them. And of course that person is happy, right? Because there is a special kind of happiness that is experienced when you've done something wrong. And you know you deserve a punishment, and instead you're forgiven. And what you've done is not counted against you. And of course, friends, listen, the more severe the punishment you know you deserved and didn't get, the greater your joy. I, um, I've got another story that reminds me of that point. I think about it often. And uh, I'm going I'm to try to tell it really quickly. So you're going to want to hear this story in more detail at another time. But there was a time where I, there, uh, not too long ago, I had a friend um, that is uh, homeless, and he asked me for help to uh, move some furniture uh, or actually pick up some furniture from a house in our neighborhood that was selling it. And he was going to grab this furniture and sell it at a resale shop. And he needed my help to get it, and he, I had a truck, and so he was asking me to use it. And, and so I, I, I told him I'm happy to help him. And I decided to make a day out of it and put, load up the whole family in, the, in the, my truck and go uh, help my friend get this furniture. So we went to this guy's house that uh, they were moving, and they were just trying to get rid of some stuff. And we went in and, and um, uh, stopped there, but no one was home. And so I asked my friend, like, hey, are you sure? Like, tell me exactly what they said. They, they told you you could have this furniture? And he's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, they're just trying to get rid of it. They're trying to move out. And, and it's ours. There's stuff in the garage, and there's stuff in a shed in the, in the back. And I was like, okay. So we go walk into this open garage, and we grab these patio chairs. It's the only thing that was in the garage is these patio chairs. And put them in the back of my truck. And then we go into the back of the yard, and there's a um, – shed and sure enough opens up and there's he said there was a, a coffee table in there and there was it was just one coffee table in the in the whole shed I was like okay I guess they left the, this for him and so we grabbed the coffee table and we go and we're, we're turning the corner from the backyard towards my truck and up drives a, another truck right behind me and pulls up and gets out and this guy gets out and he's irate and he shouts what are you doing with my stuff what are you, you're stealing from me right now. What are you doing? Put, put that back. And I look at my friend and I say, what's he talking about? And my friend says, um, uh, sir, I, I'm just taking this off your hand. I could tell you're trying to get rid of it. And I just wanted to, to do you a favor. 
and my eyes get huge you know we could oh my goodness and I just apologize and say we'll put it back we'll put it back so then we take the stuff out of my truck and we go put it back quickly and then I walk over the guy actually gets back into his truck so he's parked right behind my truck of course my whole family Krista the kids are all in my truck watching this happen I walk up to this guy's truck and I'm it dawns on me I'm actually wearing my midtown church shirt at this time too which is it's even better. And, uh, and I say, sir, I am really, really sorry. I, I, this was an awful mistake and I, I did not understand. I thought that this, this had been given to him. And he said, well, you, yeah, you got, you got it all wrong, man. And he just rolls up his window and I'm like, Oh goodness. Well, I don't know what to do. And so I, I get my friend, he gets in the back of my truck and I get back in the truck and I just drive off. I drop my friend off where I'd picked him up and then I'm just driving down the road and a, a police officer pulls up behind me. And I think, oh man, this is, this is not good. But I keep driving, and then another police officer drives up behind me. And then another one. And then another one. And now I have four officers behind me. And I'm, and I'm saying to Krista, hey, um, I think maybe we just kinda, I just kinda accidentally uh, committed a felony. And you were with me, and so they might want to take, we might need to call my parents to come get the kids, because we might be going to jail. And so she's freaking out, I'm freaking out. Finally, the officers pull me over, and they come up to the, they come up to the, the, the window, and uh, they, one at a time. And first one says, uh, sir, do you, you know why we pulled you over today? I say, uh, yeah, I, I, I think I do. And then I faint. No, I, actually, I didn't, I didn't faint this time. I, I confessed. I said, yeah, I, I do. I, I, I think I just accidentally stole some stuff. And, uh, and I explained the whole story. This officer leaves. Next officer comes. I have to tell the whole story again. Same thing happens four times. I have to confess exactly what I did four times over and over again. And the whole time I'm thinking, I'm going to jail, I'm going to jail, I'm going to jail. And then amazingly, the first officer comes back to my window and says, uh, the man who you uh, stole stuff from <laughs> has called and said he doesn't want to press charges. And so uh, he's going to let you go, or we're going to let you go. And when I drove off after that moment, I was shaking because <laughs> I knew what I deserved, but I had gotten off. I was full of joy. I was extremely happy. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Friends, that is such a small, small snapshot of what we deserve guilty before God for the sins that we have committed, for crossing his boundaries, for missing the mark, for steer, veering off course. And yet God says, you confess to me and I forgive you. I do not count your sins against you. Happy are we. May we rejoice. Guys, confession begins with acknowledging our sin and uncovering it. But don't stop there. For when we confess our sins to God, he forgives it and he covers it. And as a result, of conf as a result confession should always end and rejoicing. Final thing here, but I'm going to wrap up with verse 9 and 10. 
It's the only part I left out. In that passage, in those verses, uh, David says, do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. And friends, I believe that what David was getting at here is simply this. Because this is what God is like, and because this is how he responds when we confess, run to him when you sin. Don't be like a horse or a mule who have no understanding. Have understanding. This is what God is like. So run to him. You don't need a bit and a bridle to make you come to him when you understand his incredible grace and forgiveness and his unfailing love that God has surrounded you with. So confess your sins every time. Confess. Run to him. Even though you just got done running to him, run to him again. Run to him as many times as it takes. Run to him every time because this is what he's like. And he surrounds you with his love. May we confess our sins to him, knowing that he forgives, and may it lead to a rejoicing. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, would you teach us to be people who confess to you quickly? That we wouldn't be like David, trying to stay silent. But Lord, that we would recognize our sin, and we would acknowledge it, and we would uncover it before you, knowing that as we do, you forgive and you cover our sin. We hide in you, and you forgive us, you protect us, you direct us. God, will we run to you, confessing our sins. And as we confess, God, may we enjoy a closer relationship with you. And God, will you teach us, would you instruct us in the ways that we should go, that we would uh, grow <laughs> and, and uh, experience freedom from these sins. We love you, God. We thank you so much for giving us what we don't deserve, for giving us our sins. And we rejoice in that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.